2: Man, I you
0: need you get say what twenty,
2: can you get twenty You want all females, I guess? Well, yeah. You know we're not supposed to be doing it, but we can do this as long as you want, man. As long as you got the money.
0: I got money, but I need as
2: possible. I don't know, I mean I don't know what you're doing with it and I don't care, but if you if you needed some eggs pretty quick we could get you some caviar tonight.
1: All right, so how many documents are there?
3: So there's over 600 pages of court documents relating to Operation Roadhouse. There's pages and pages of investigation reports.
1: We're in the hotel room, doing our best Sherlock Holmes and Watson impersonations. We're building our evidence board. Court documents are piled everywhere, all over the bed, on chairs, the mini-fridge, the desk, and the floor.
3: But you've also got things like trial briefs. You've got plea agreements. There's even photos by undercover agents of these paddlefish and this paddlefish roe being processed into caviar.
1: Up to now, we've only heard the cop version of events. These documents could unlock the other side of the story. I'm just kind of wondering, thinking about looking at these court docs, do you think it gives us more, like, is it telling us a bigger picture? It
3: definitely confirms a lot of what we already knew about Operation Roadhouse, but uh, there's also so many of these pages and reports about individual suspects that I don't think has really been that clearly reported on.
1: Are there any dramatic moments?
3: There definitely are, once you kind of wade through all the technical and legal language, uh, there's definitely some golden nuggets. So there's this one suspect called Fedor, I think is how you pronounce it. He's also known as Tad and he was like down at the roadhouse. He was openly bragging about all this caviar that he'd sold, something like $15,000 worth of caviar. And he had these kind of aspirations to build a paddlefish caviar empire. And uh, the undercover cops who end up busting down his door during the takedown were the same guys who he hung out with at the roadhouse. So you can kind of imagine his surprise. He opens the door and these guys, who he thought were his friends, are on the other side. They kind of like pull him out of the house. They put him in handcuffs. They take him down to the station. He's charged. The weird thing is that after all of that, he still asks these officers if they want to go and get a beer with him.
1: I mean, what kind of person gets arrested and then asks the cops to go have a beer with him after? It's a little, it's a little weird.
3: That's what I thought. Unless, you know, either he's feeling really cavalier about the whole thing, he's not stressed because he genuinely thinks he's, either he thinks he's innocent or he's just a master manipulator and he knows exactly what he's doing.
1: I mean, Fedor sounds like a bit of a character, but also, I don't know, it seems like who is he selling to?
3: We don't know. Um, Maybe I just haven't got that far in the court docs, but uh, there are so many pages on him, you'd think that answer would be in there somewhere.
1: After the national takedown in 2013, the Missouri Department of Conservation publishes a press release.
3: They talk about busting this major paddlefish poaching operation. And it doesn't explicitly say that this was tied to Russian mafia, uh, but it, it kind of implies it. They've got this massive kind of coordinated effort on their hands.
1: I mean, basically all the scenes you've described, like I'm I'm picturing a Guy Ritchie film. It's, it sounds a bit surreal. The media picks up the story and they really go for it with the Caviar Mafia headlines.
3: The other tricky thing, of course, with all of this is that loads of the details are redacted. So, names of undercover agents, names of suspects. So, you do have to do quite a lot of work to kind of pull together some kind of story of what these guys were doing, where they were from, what they were up to. But also, these court documents don't really deal with the question of where all this row is going. Like, where are they smuggling it to? Is it going overseas? Is it going back to Europe? Where is the market for this stuff? It doesn't even really have a smoking gun uh, that tells us who the, you know, the people cult running this whole thing are beyond the people at the roadhouse.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like we have more work to do. I'm Helen Holliman. From Imperative Entertainment and Vespucci, this is the Paddlefish Caviar Heist, Episode 5, The Caviar Mafia.
2: right at home.
1: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Afford
2: Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million
1: dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money.
2: Make smarter choices and build a better
1: life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. There's two suspects whose names keep coming up in the court documents. Here's what we know. In the mid-2000s, a 30-something Armenian guy named Bogdan Nahapetian moves to the Ozarks to start a construction business. At some point, he hears there's a lot of money to be made selling black market roe. Fast forward to the spring of 2012, and Nahapetian is hanging out at the roadhouse with some fishermen. They offer to sell him paddlefish. Nahapetian agrees to buy. He then starts looking to sell the paddlefish to someone else. A friend suggests he call up this dude who drives around in a white Mercedes van. The white van man is later identified as Peter Babanko. He's the owner of a specialty food store in New Jersey. The pair strikes up some sort of arrangement where Naha Petian sources the paddlefish in Warsaw, and Babanko takes them to market. One thing we haven't talked about yet is just how gnarly caviar harvesting is it's not for the fan of heart. On the regulated market, efforts are made to make caviar harvesting more humane. But for these guys illegally processing caviar, the scene probably went something like this. A live female paddlefish is caught and placed into a cooler filled with ice. The cold puts the fish into a comatose state. It wriggles less. Then, someone takes a sharp knife slits her belly wide open. If they're lucky, they find two large row sacks containing around 10,000 eggs each. Can you hear me? Yeah. This is a recording of a phone call. An undercover agent is negotiating one of these paddlefish deals with Naha Petian.
2: Yeah, what's going on?
0: Yeah. Can you get any f uh? Fishers?
2: Well maybe what do you what, what do you need? Man, well, I need
0: much if so you can get. 20, thirty. Let's say what start with twenty. Can you get twenty of
2: them? I I don't know. What what do you uh when you need them? How quick and all those things? Well, uh if we can open floor nice
0: if you can get them this
2: weekend. Okay. Um you want all females, I guess? Well, yeah. yeah.
1: The audio isn't super clear, but you can hear Naha Petian trying to buy 20 female paddlefish. This could be as many as 400,000 eggs. The undercover agent tells Naha Petyan that he might be committing a crime.
2: You know we're not supposed to be doing it, but we can do this as long as you want, man. As long as you got the money. I
0: right. No, I got more than I'm telling you, but I need it as soon as
2: possible. Okay. Well that's why that's what I was saying was i if I don't know, I mean I don't know what you're doing with it and I don't care, but if you if you needed some eggs pretty quick, we could get you some caviar tonight. No, 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 the caviar I don't want to do the caviar myself.
1: Nahapetian Petian turns down the agent's offer to prepare the fish. Speed is of the essence. He'll prepare the caviar himself. But the agent has one last question.
2: Do you know anybody, any of your buddies, or any restaurants or anybody that want to buy some of this caviar?
0: Give me a reasonable price. Hundred dollars is too expensive. You're not going to sell us
2: for
1: that much. Nahapetian says, "Give me a reasonable price," and asks how much paddlefish caviar he has to sell.
2: How much do you have? How many pounds do you have? We probably have. I probably got left about oh, 50 fifty pounds, something like that. Forty-five to fifty. I
0: can call right now and find out for you.
2: Well, I tell you what, why don't you call right now and find out and see how much you're willing to give and you call me back?
1: To find out how much he has to spend, Naha Petian needs to call his boss.
2: Okay. All right. I'll talk to you in a minute. He hangs up. Thanks. Bye. -bye.
1: With Naha Petian gone, the agent, whose name we've removed, summarizes the call so the recording can be used as evidence.
2: This is a field investigator. That was Aura. Um, Bogdan, 10:44 p.m. on the 19th of April. Um, he wants 20 fish as soon as he can get it. Um, he's going to call somebody about the caviar and let me know.
1: Soon after, Nahapetian and Babenko arrive in Warsaw to meet the agent and pick up 80 pounds of paddlefish eggs. At retail, caviar is typically sold in one to four ounce tins. 80 pounds is a lot of row, maybe 1,200 tins. And when relabeled as high-quality Russian caviar, these eggs could sell for more than three hundred thousand dollars. And this was just a test run. Babenko packs the eggs into ice chests, loads them into his van, and drives off, headed for New Jersey. What he doesn't realize as he crosses state lines is that agents are tracking him all the way up Interstate 95. Although investigators now have all the evidence they need, they don't arrest the pair. Instead, they wait. March 2013, just as snagging season is getting underway for another year. An undercover agent calls Nahapetian to ask if he's interested in buying more paddlefish. This time, Naha Petian says he wants as much caviar as he can get. His friend will visit Warsaw in a few weeks to pick up the goods. But the paddlefish aren't brutally butchered. The sale never happens. Because that week, Randy Doman instructs hundreds of federal agents to execute Don raids across the country. The morning of the arrests? Undercover agents tail Naha Petian from his house to a nearby gas station. They pull into a nearby parking lot and call Nahapetian. They need to talk. When he gets into the agent's vehicle, Nahapetian is served with an arrest warrant. They read his Miranda rights and begin to question him. At first, Nahapetian denies any wrongdoing. They've got the wrong guy. But after further probing, he finally admits that he was offered paddlefish by some guys at the roadhouse. He admits Sure, he bought a few, but he wasn't running any kind of business. The agents handcuff Nahapetian Petian and drive him down to Jefferson City to stand before a judge. During the drive, Naha Petian's tone shifts from one of denial to desperation. He tells the agents that he didn't know it was illegal to buy paddlefish and that he didn't make any money from the transactions anyway. He tells them he was just a middleman for Babanko. He says it wasn't his money or his caviar. Nahapetian also tells the officers that he'd only bought the paddlefish because the agents were offering it. He simply didn't want to go home empty-handed. Anyway, he doesn't want to go to jail. The day of Nahapetian's arrest, a team of officers raid a grocery store in Vineland, New Jersey. After bursting in, they demand to know where is the store's owner, Peter Babanko. The clerk says that his boss isn't there, but gives officers Babanko's cell phone number. When Babanko finally picks up, the officers serve him with a federal arrest warrant and insist he turn himself in. At first, Babanko refuses to give up his location. Maybe he thinks he can run? But two days later, he turns up at the U.S. Marshal's office in Camden, New Jersey. A judge reads the charges against Babenko and imposes a $50,000 bail. Nahapetian then accepts a plea deal, a reduced punishment in return for testifying against Babenko. For his part, Peter Babenko is charged with conspiring to violate a federal law known as the Lacey Act, which carries a sentence of up to five years in prison. Here's Missouri Department of Conservation Randy Doman.
2: Anytime you transport wildlife illegally across state lines, you have triggered a federal violation of what we call the Lacey Act. And so a lot of these folks that were taking over limits of paddlefish or illegally harvesting the roe and then transporting them back to their home states were at that point committing federal violations.
1: It seems like the feds hoped that the poachers would flip on their bosses. They want to bring down the whole criminal enterprise. But while a bunch of suspects did plead guilty to violating the Lacey Act, As far as we can tell, no one testified against anyone higher up. No kingpins, no Russian mafia. Something's not sitting right. When we spoke to people in Warsaw, it seemed like everyone knew that this was the work of the Russian mob. One fisherman even suggested that Operation Roadhouse had to be wrapped up because it became too successful. It had gone too deep into the world of Russian organized crime. So why is this not in the documents? Both Arn and I try repeatedly to reach Bogdan Nahapetian and Peter Babenko for comment, but the closest thing we can get is their lawyer. Luckily, we have some other intel to go on.
3: One of the documents we've managed to get from the Missouri Department of Conservation is a complete list of the names of suspects picked up during Operation Roadhouse.
1: There's over a hundred names on this list. So we spend some time digging into each of them, trying to make contact. Almost no one answers. Of course they don't. Please leave a message after the tone. Would you want to pick up the phone to a reporter asking if you were involved in a crime? So we try a softer approach.
0: Hello.
3: Hi, it's uh, Aaron, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time.
1: This is Aaron talking to one of the people from the list. To protect his identity, we're gonna call him Simon. We start by asking why he likes to snag.
0: I fish for paddlefish. Basically for the meat, for the caviar, for all that goodness inside. When you catch one, what does it feel like? Uh, It's like an unexplainable feeling. It's a feeling that you'll never get when you go fishing. (laughs) It's a very big fish.
1: But what was he doing with the fish?
0: I catch him and then I bring him home, clean him and stuff. Take the caviar out and then just uh, clean the fish just clean the hole inside, take all the meat out. I mostly go for the meat, because the meat is more of, of what I eat. And that fish, the caviar, I give to my grandma.
1: He was just giving it away? She lives in the
0: same neighborhood as us, so I just bring it to her.
1: Okay, so he seems like a loving and devoted grandson. What does he remember about the operation?
0: Do
3: you remember that, too?  —
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember something like that. — Was that something that affected you? — Um, no. No, I didn't really catch that much. I just catched two paddlefish, and that's good enough for me. — So they didn't give you any problems, really? — No, no, no. —
1: It sounds like Simon is denying even being arrested as part of Roadhouse. He says he stayed within the limits. In fact, he seems supportive of the conservation department. This is weird.
0: The right thing to do if people are like stealing and stuff, that's like, that's very bad.
1: Simon sounds about as far from a big time caviar smuggler as you can get. I've spent months now working on this story. We've heard detailed accounts from multiple sources. I've even seen the cabinet of trophies awarded for a job well done. I don't know if Simon is hiding something, and it's pretty hard to reach any conclusion based on our brief call, but I feel pretty sure I wasn't speaking to a Mafia Don. So we go back to the list. We're looking for any links or patterns in the names. Then we find something. A bunch of the suspects all come from the same town, Sedalia. It's about 35 miles north of Warsaw. When I first read about Operation Roadhouse, One of the most jarring parts was this idea of Russian-speaking fishermen hanging out in the middle of the Ozarks. This bit of the Midwest isn't exactly famous for being cosmopolitan. Wouldn't they seem out of place? But it turns out, Sedalia, Missouri does actually have a very large Eastern European community. It's mainly expats who moved there after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 1990s. And Eastern Europeans from Sedalia have been snagging in Warsaw for years. They might have been over-harvesting paddlefish eggs to make caviar, but it was more likely for personal consumption, or in Simon's case, for his grandma. So if these fishermen from Sedalia weren't involved in the big smuggling conspiracy, who was? I had to confront a thought. What if there was no big conspiracy? How would that make me feel? I mean, if there isn't a dark underworld at the bottom of this whole thing, would I feel, I don't know, shortchanged? Being totally honest, I would actually feel seriously relieved, not just for the poor endangered paddlefish, but for myself. I need to confess something there's a decent chance that I may have been complicit in this crime. Let me explain. Around the time Operation Roadhouse was going down, I was living in New York. It's a city where, if there's an unusual way to make money, then someone else is probably already doing it. There I was in my early 20s, trying to make a name for myself as a writer. I had more than a few financial dry spells, to put it lightly. I needed a job on the side to help pay the bills. Twelve-hour restaurant shifts were leaving me wiped out and too tired to write, even on my days off. One day I was on Craigslist, job hunting, when something caught my eye. Searching for a truffle dealer sorter. The job required someone who could weigh and smell truffles. Not the chocolate kind, but the extremely expensive fungus kind that Amex Black Card customers crave. The gig would also require selling them alongside other specialty foods, like caviar. Are you kidding me? I'd do it for free, I thought. And so I became a caviar dealer for 99% of the Michelin-starred restaurants in New York City. But the luxury food world is the Wild West. Unlike your FDA-controlled foods at the grocery store, in this universe, things can go unregulated. Sometimes all you have to go on is trust. As a dealer, there are times where you're low on product, and so you're forced to quickly buy off of other dealers to keep your customers happy. You have to take people at their word. And so if black market paddlefish roe was being packaged as premium caviar and driven to New York, It's possible that I was the person pushing this stuff. And if I was selling Roadhouse Row, then was I doing the bidding of the Russian mafia? There is only one person who might know my old boss. They're not catching paddlefish and harvesting their eggs for no reason. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that they were taking part in the black market caviar trade. That's next time. The Paddlefish Caviar Heist is a production of Imperative Entertainment and Vespucci and is written and hosted by me, Helen Holliman. For Imperative Entertainment, The executive producer is Jason Hoke. For Vespucci, the executive producers are Daniel Turkin and Johnny Galvin. David Gavi Herbert is executive producer. Based on original reporting by David Gavi Herbert, the series producer is Aaron Keller. The story editor is Matt Willis. Thomas Curry is the managing producer. Audio recording by Austin Sizzler at Eastside Studios. Audio mix and sound design by Matt Peaty. Special thanks to Michelle Nyhaus for additional reporting.